The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Family Matters with your host, Dr. Virginia Collin. In this program, we will explore some of the challenges families face and the solutions they create in today's world, where marriage, parenting, and family forms are not what they once were. Now, here is Dr. Virginia Collin. Welcome to Family Matters. I'm your host, Virginia Collin, and today it is my privilege to be talking with Dr. Ed Farber, author of Raising the Kid You Love, with the X you hate. Dr. Farber is a licensed clinical psychologist. You can find his practice online at restonpsych.com. That's R-E-S-T-O-R-P-S-Y-C-H dot com. Welcome to the show, Dr. Farber. Thank you, except it's R-E-S-T-O-N. Did I say it wrong? pleasure to be with you. I'm so sorry. Thanks Great, for thanks direction. for having me on the show. Well, I've read your book. It's excellent. I recommend it to people routinely. What prompted you to write this? How did you get into this area of specialization? Well, first of all, thank you for reading the book and recommending it. Um, I thought it was important to put on paper some of the ideas that were coming up day in and day out in my clinical practice. Um, I was a clinician in an office and was seeing a lot of folks going through the trauma of divorce and separation issues, and I found myself repeating the same message again and again. You have to take care of yourself. You have to be able to look beyond the immediate hostility for the benefit of yourself and for your children, and there's a better way of doing the separation-divorce process. And uh, finally, just thought I needed to put it down on paper and share it with a couple of other folks besides those sitting in my office. Sounds good. So it's such a good book. Did it uh, wind up on a bestseller list anywhere? Well, it's funny you ask. Very briefly, uh, I was number one in Great Britain. Uh, Hit the tabloids because the concept of co-parenting in Great Britain was considered a, a sensational idea. Um, and it uh, made me really look and wonder about what it's really like across the globe, people going through this process of divorce. Here in the United States, co-parenting has very much become the norm in most localities. Co-parenting is the idea that after one divorces, you still together with your ex-spouse need to have some form of arrangement of making the decisions in the life of your children and sharing in some way in physically raising those children. Well, in other countries, that's not necessarily the case. And in other countries, such as Great Britain until very, very recently, if you get a divorce, pretty much mom's going to take care of the kids. Dad's going to see the kids periodically on holidays or perhaps some weekends and have some financial responsibility. And although that sounds quite sexist in my saying it, that's very much the way it was going. And my concept that really co-parenting is really best for the children 
uh, was considered rather sensational. So yeah, I, I quickly hit the bestseller list and quickly dropped off of it. <laughs> Good adventure. It, that, it was a lot of fun for a day. The pattern that you've described of the kids go with the mom and the dad makes a financial contribution and sees the kids once in a while, that was not uncommon in the United States, not terribly long ago. Do you know when the change started to happen? It was a gradual change, Virginia. It wasn't something that suddenly took over the country. There was no one study that said, oh, co-parenting is really best for children. And it probably was a combination of factors. Clearly, the women's movement um, uh, helped move this along if there was going to be women's equality in a workplace and women's equality in the job market. There may well be male equality in the household. Uh, changing economic levels of males and females contributed to both parties being able to contribute financially then why can't they also both contribute uh, in the raising of the children? And the mere concept, I think, of the last 25 years of uh, a somewhat of a changing of the classical roles of males and females allowed our society to see that uh, men can do the dishes and women can work the barbecue grill as well. And with that, it really moved into this concept of there really doesn't have to be a gender role to raise a child. But we got into this concept of shared parenting. And my approach is that that's fantastic for the children. And it may not always work out so well for the parents, but it's great for your kids. From the parent's perspective, what's good about it and what's bad about it if you're sharing parenting with your ex, whom you really don't like at all anymore? Well, you just hit the nail on the head and what's bad about it. Um, we've just gone through six months or a year of separation troubles. We finally have managed to separate ourselves financially. We're probably not separating ourselves totally emotionally yet, but hopefully we're on that road. We've been able to look back and probably get rid of some of the anger and some of the rancor of our relationship. But you know what? We're still in that relationship. I still have to talk to that person I didn't like very much and wanted to divorce, maybe on a daily basis, certainly on a weekly basis, because we have to make these decisions about our child. We have to decide what we're going to do when she doesn't do her homework on a regular basis. We have to talk about what is an appropriate bedtime, perhaps. We're going to have to talk about the rules about her going out when she's 13 years old with her friends and what time she's allowed to stay out till. We still have to do so many of those things that we did when we were married, but now with someone from whom the emotional roller coaster has really been so prevalent over the last year. It's hard. That's the hard part. The great part, if you can pull it off, is you really can immunize your child from the impact of the parental separation and divorce. Because if your child is able to still see you as mommy and daddy, not as two divorced entities and two div different households making two different kinds of sets of rules and expectations, your child will not be negatively affected by your separation and divorce. Are you well acquainted with research that would give us an idea of what percentage of divorced parents are able to pull this off if they try? Well, what's interesting is that we all hear the horror stories. 
we all know of the sensational stories of the people who are in the press and they're suing each other for millions of dollars and they're into lawsuits forever. But 85% of the parents, approximately, can do a divorce with some degree of comfort with each other. 85% of the people, while they may utilize attorneys to finalize divorce decrees and protect financial interests, are not highly contentious divorces. But there's a good percentage of people that sort of draw a lot of the anger out of everybody else, and uh, those are problems. But most, most people get in divorce, pull it off pretty well. It takes a little while. It takes a little work. But uh, most people can do it. That's interesting. I can remember a time when I was in a room full of mostly women, a few men who were, you know, there because they were listening to speeches from people about how to get ready for the process of divorce. And somebody said, you know, you could share custody. You could even take turns. One year, the child will live with mom during the school year. The next year, she'll live with dad during the school year. All of the women in the room were completely horrified. It was as if I had suggested that it was okay to take away something that was their right. Do you see people who actually do it that way? Or you see more of a week-to-week? Or how, how, how do different families share the co-parenting? I'm going to share a secret. And the secret is there is not one single living arrangement that has ever been shown to be better or worse for your particular child after separation and divorce. There is no evidence that 50-50 is better than every other weekend. There's no evidence that flipping a relationship over the summer is better or worse than maintaining the same relationship during the school year and the summertime. There is no evidence that Monday and Tuesday with mom and Wednesday and Thursday with dad is better or worse than any other relationship. What happened, actually, let me take that back. There's one factor that's a problem, and that's called nesting. Nesting is pretty much where the kids stay in the house. Mom and dad move out of the house at different times to care for the children. The concept is wonderful. Why should we disrupt the lives of our children? We're going to move in and out, and we're going to share this house at various times and raise the children at various times. That tends to be a disaster after a few months. Really hard to pull off, and we could talk more about that later. But with that exception, there's no evidence that any one living arrangement is better than any other living arrangement, because that really is not the factor that affects how kids do in their development over time. There are lots of other issues that are far more powerful as influencers of what's going to affect your child after your separation or your divorce. You could develop any relationship that works. And believe me, I've had families of uh, a pilot who works a very erratic schedule, and his schedule is different every single week and every single month. Uh, There's very little predictability other than he knows a week in advance. And he and his ex-wife were able to work out a living arrangement that when he is in the area, he's not working at all, and he has primary custody of the children those days. And on days when he's flying, and it may be for an extended period of time, he has no custody of the children physically. And the parents make it work. They make it work by having a business-like relationship with each other, dealing with a calendar in advance, working out the details, and guaranteeing that the children maximize the time they have with each of their parents when their parents are available to parent them. When dad, who's the pilot, is around, he has all the time in the world to spend with these children. 
It's great. Why not? He's just not around on a predictable, regular basis. Yeah, there's another plus to that that people sometimes overlook, which is that the mom probably is very happy to get a break from those 24-7 responsibilities. Well, I'll say sometimes dads are happy to get a break from 24-7 responsibilities also. Look, if you ask kids what's the only good thing about a divorce, they tell you there are only two good things about a divorce, and that's double birthday presents and double Christmas presents. If you ask parents what's good about a divorce and they think about it for a while, they say there are two things that are good about divorce as well. There is some time that they're not on, and there's a time that someone else is solely responsible for the children, and number two, there's some time that they could have a private adult social life as well. See, when you're married, you're both on all the time. You may vary in who's really responsible, but you're always on. In a divorce situation, typically one parent will be on 100% some of the time and another parent on 100% some of the time. So I think one of the slight benefits of being divorced, and I am not advocating divorce. This benefit does not outweigh the benefits of an intact family for yourself and for your child. But one of the benefits is that uh, there's a little time that you're really not on, and that's okay. Got it. I'm not sure that I agree with you about the married families. I think some are the way you've described, but some of them have a default parent who's on duty all the time and a secondary parent who pitches in when she or he feels like it. Um, hopefully that doesn't happen that often because some of those families may be families that end up headed into my office. Um, I, I think clearly in a lot of families there's one parent who's primary for certain issues, uh, someone who may be responsible for making sure homework gets done and uh, the kids get to bed on time, and there may be another parent who's responsible for financial responsibility for the family. Um, but still they're, they're both on all the time. There's not a time that you're not sensitive to the needs of the children to some degree. In divorce situations, there are some times where theoretically you're not on. It's not, I'm not advocating it. It's not a wonderful concept. Uh, it's sort of like the double Christmas presents. Yeah, you get them, but I wish mom and dad were still together better than right. the double Christmas presents. Right. That would be better from most kids' perspectives. Let me go back for a minute to your book, um, and I'm going to block on the name, Raising the Kid You Love with the Ex You Hate. That One of the things that I love about your book is that it starts out with a really wonderful, positive story. It, it tells of a family that made co-parenting work in difficult circumstances and over the course of years when um, the job situation changed, somebody got remarried, uh, you know, lots of changes, and the parents kept figuring out a way to make it work. Do you have other stories like that? I love stories. Um, there are, are wonderful stories like that. The, the idea of the divorce situation from a legal perspective is sometimes a problem. You may get divorced and your child is five years old and you struggle with attorneys and even if you do it very well, you come up with a custodial agreement and that a custodial agreement will set out who makes decisions in the life of the child and also where that child lives 
during what days and of the week and over the summertime and during holidays and vacations. But let me guarantee you that the decisions that you're going to make about that child when that child's five years old are not going to be the same decisions you would make when that child is 10 and certainly not when that child is 15 years old. But we're only documenting and agreeing when that child is five years old. So to be flexible, one really needs to be able to understand that we have this a divorce decree, which is the fallback agreement if we can't agree on anything else. But as much as we are divorced from each other right now, we are still a family intact in having to raise this child. So we have to look again and again. That pilot and his ex-wife that I spoke about before, they could have gone to war with each other. The wife could have easily said in that situation, which she did initially and then changed her mind, she could have easily said, you know what, I don't care that you have to work these certain days. You're supposed to see this child from Thursday to Sunday night every other week and alternating Wednesday nights. And if you're not here, not my problem, your problem. But instead she recognized that as much as she didn't like her ex, the damage of saying that would be on the child as much as on the ex. And the title of the book really is appropriate here. She had to look and say, I love this child and I care more about the outcome for my child, far more than the hostility I have toward my ex. And we make those kinds of decisions then based on what is going to be the positive outcome for our child, not what's going to be the snarky interaction with our ex. And once people who are divorced are able to see that perspective and move beyond the attempt for vengeance, the attempt to justify our own behavior, but instead keep it focused on how is this going to help my child? We can do a lot of things here. In your experience with the families that are having enough difficulty to decide to come into your office, how many, what percentage succeed in making this transition to having a business-like relationship where we're going to be respectful of each other and decide together what's best for our child? I wish I could say that the research is out there, Virginia, that I can honestly say X percentage of people benefit from parent coordination, which is the kind of counseling post-separation divorce that assists people in making decisions that are appropriate for their child. Um, the research is just not out yet. This is a relatively new field, and we don't know for sure what percentage and what kind of people are helped by what kind of intervention. Uh, the research will be out within a year or two. We do know, however, that it is a far preferable choice to the alternative, which is often litigation. Look, do you want to go to court on a Friday afternoon and have a judge who's never met you before decide whether your child is going to play soccer at mom's neighborhood or softball in dad's neighborhood? Or would you rather, as parents, have to suck it up and make that decision yourself and learn to compromise, reach consensus, give the other parent a break because it may be more important to the other parent? Or do you really want to have a judge on a Friday afternoon for 15 minutes look at a file box and decide not your child's going to play softball? It comes down to the concept that parents still need to be parents in the life of their child even after separation and divorce. And unfortunately, far too many people 
rely on the judicial system to make these kinds of decisions. This is a true story. I've had countless people have to go to Friday motions days, which are afternoons in court, where a judge will hear a very specific issue and attempt to resolve one specific issue that co-parents can't resolve. You've got 15 minutes to present your case to the judge, and literally, parents go in and ask the judge to decide whether a child should play soccer in one neighborhood or softball in another neighborhood. Wow, that's when pretty we extreme. Point at the absurdity of that, that that's... these adults can't make those decisions themselves, a very high percentage of people sort of come to their senses. So right. I can't tell you that it's 75% of people get better or 80% of people get better uh, if they sort of develop a business-like relationship with each other, but it's a pretty high percentage. Ed, we need to go to break now. I'll be back with Dr. Ed Farber in a couple of minutes. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Most adults are able to make good decisions about how their families can move forward. They do not need to rely on courts to make such decisions, especially in cases of divorce. Far too many people suffer unnecessary anguish because they do not know what family mediators can do. We help people discuss problems constructively in a private, confidential setting. We help them stop fighting and stay out of court. To learn more about mediation and other family matters, visit ColinFamilyMediationGroup.com. Colin has one L and no S. Are you struggling with emotional, financial, and legal stress related to divorce? The Guide to Low-Cost Divorce in Virginia by Virginia Collin and Rebecca Martin teaches how to handle these processes in any state with special attention to Virginia's laws. This book can help you take care of yourself, get free legal advice, develop a good co-parenting plan, Keep expenses down and arrange a do-it-yourself divorce. The Guide to Low-Cost Divorce in Virginia is available from Amazon for just $4.99. No one can tell you how much money you'll have or when you'll see your children, right? Wrong. It happens every day in divorce court. Don't let it happen to you. When dealing with separation, divorce, co-parenting, or care of an elderly relative, there is a better way. Mediation. Save time, save money, and save your children. To learn more, visit the Academy of Professional Family Mediators at apfmnet.org. That's apfmnet.org. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Family Matters. To reach Dr. Virginia Collin or today's guest, please call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radio show at collinfamilymediationgroup.com. Now, back to Family Matters. Welcome back to Family Matters. I'm your host, Virginia Collin, and I'm talking today with Dr. Ed Farber, 
author of Raising the Kid You Love with the Ex You Hate. Dr. Farber has published professionally, lectured nationally, received multiple research grants, and uh, works at a clinical practice in Reston, Virginia, which you can find online at restonpsych.com. Dr. Farber, I'd like to move into the question of what factors really do make a difference for kids. When their parents divorce, what are the things that really matter? for how, whether the kids are going to come out okay or come out traumatized. So, Virginia, let me put my professor hat on here for a few moments, and when I put everybody to sleep, wake me up. Okay. Uh, we alluded to one thing before. We said one thing that doesn't seem to be important, and that is the specifics of the living arrangement between the parents. And everyone's going to probably say, wait, wait, that's got to be important. How my child lives has to be very important, but it's really not. There are a couple of things when we look at the long-term studies and the outcome of children from divorce that really do seem to make a difference. And there are probably three factors that are critical. Number one, a child who has a meaningful, real, consistent relationship with both parents after parental separation and divorce does so much better than a child who only has a relationship with one parent. Kids do better with two parents in their lives. Kids do poorly with one parent in their life. We've known that. We've been concerned about that for years when a parent walked away from the child after parental separation and divorce. And we know that your child's just going to do much better if both parents are involved in that child's life, even though you may hate your ex. Number one. Number two. The level of conflict between the parents after separation and divorce. And here's an interesting point. Virginia, most people think that we had such a lousy marriage and the kids were sensitive to it and they knew we were arguing and disagreeing. It has to have a bad effect on our child. The fact is that it really doesn't have a bad effect on the child, the amount of conflict before the separation and divorce. It's really as if most kids go, duh, I get it. Mom and dad fought all the time. That's why they got divorced. It makes sense. But if they're still fighting after the separation, after the divorce, and every time there's a transition from one household to the other household, dishes are getting thrown in the driveway and cuss words about the ex are flying, and boy, these things do happen some of the time, and it's got to be about me, the child. After all, that's all the parents have with each other. That's their only bond. That's their only connection. So the conflict post-separation and divorce clearly is about me. It's my fault. And so kids who grow up with contentious family situations after the separation, after the divorce, do much worse than kids whose parents are able to develop a business-like relationship. The third factor, and I'll stop my professor lecture very shortly, the third factor really you can't have without the first two. Because unless you have a meaningful relationship with both of your parents, and unless that relationship is without a lot of anger and bitterness and conflict, you can't have the sense that to that child, it's both mommy and daddy still making important decisions in my life as a child. And so at critical points of life, the kids who know that still it's mom and dad, good parts of my life, bad parts of my life, 
involved and making the important decisions, those kids also do much better than those who think there's only one parent blaming the other parent or a court system involved in raising them. So if you're in fifth grade and you win that science fair award and both mommy and daddy are there to bask in your glory, it doesn't matter that it's Wednesday night and Wednesday night is dad's visitation night but mom worked on the uh, science fair project with you. When you're 13 or 14 years old and you sneak out of the house and you get in trouble, it's both of your parents who are reading you the riot act. When you're thinking about college decisions or what you're going to do after you graduate high school, it's both parents helping you make those decisions. Those kids do better. These that three makes factors, sense. This is it. You can yeah, pull remember. these three things off and your kid's going to be okay. I remember reading in your book that the existence of a meaningful, real relationship with both parents is more important than the quality of that relationship. So even if my ex forgets to feed the kids vegetables for the whole weekend, every time they're with him, I should still send them because they need to know their dad. (laughs) You know, if he didn't cook before when you were married, he's probably not going to learn how to cook after you're separated and divorced. The rule in my business, Virginia, is if you can't change your spouse while you're together, you're certainly not going to change your ex when you're apart. And yes, the quality of that relationship is far more important uh, than whether or not they're eating at McDonald's every Saturday afternoon. Um, I may spend all week making sure the child has a balanced diet and then you know, the other parent goes out and blows it with fast food and uh, I may make sure that uh, there's a limited amount of video time and electronics time during the week and then what do they do on the weekend? They just play video games and go to the movies. Well, What's more important, that your schedule be followed or that child has a meaningful relationship with the other parent, whatever that relationship is? And I'll argue that the meaningful relationship is just so much more important. And um, again, it all comes back to the question, if you want your child to have good outcome from parental separation and divorce, you've got to be able to have a business-like relationship with the other parent, accept that other parent's strengths and weaknesses as a parent, and parent that child to the best of your abilities. Maybe it's helpful to be specific about what you or I regard as a good outcome. So I would say you don't have to be a straight-A student, but we probably want you to be successful in school. If you're a teenager, we don't want you to be starting a pregnancy. Are there other things you'd add to the list of what's a good outcome? Yeah, those are bad outcomes, and let's start by talking about what a bad outcome is. Okay. We know from most parental separation and divorce, there's going to be a short-term effect on your child. And for most, the vast majority of kids, there will be some changes in behavior, attitude, thinking, sleeping style for a period of time after parental separation. It varies with the age of your child. It varies with whether your child's a boy or a girl. But anywhere from six months to a year and a half after the parental separation and divorce fireworks are over, you're probably going to see a little bit of a change in behavior in your child. I like to put it it's going to probably be at a level of about a grade point drop of performance. 
So if your child was a B kid behaviorally, you might see your child behaving at about a C plus or a C level. If your child was an A child academically, that child's performance may go down to a B plus or a B. I haven't seen the study in Virginia, but someone just recently told me a study of Little League baseball averages for kids a year after parental divorce, and there's a drop in baseball average. Again, it's noticeable, but not overwhelming. And after anywhere from six months to a year and a half, the vast majority of children bounce back and their grades go back to where they were, and their behavior goes back to where it was, and their social skills get back to where they were, and we all say that's good. But there's a sleeper effect. There's this creepy crawling thing that happens 10, 15 years after parental separation and divorce, and here's where we get worried. There's a significant minority, whether it's 25% or 30% of kids after separation and divorce, when they hit their young adult stage and they hit a point where they're now starting to make decisions about relationships, they fall apart. And here, it's not just a grade point drop in behavior. Here, it's a real fall apart. They drop out of school. They get jobs way below their economic and social expected level. Increase in pregnancy, increase in drug and alcohol abuse. Uh, asexual or multisexual behaviors. So here we have a group of people in their young 20s, interestingly probably more girls than boys, more young women than young men, and by any of our standards, they fall apart. And when we look about why they fall apart, overwhelmingly these young adults have only had a relationship with one parent after the divorce, if both parents have been involved in their life, there's been conflict throughout between the parents after the separation, and there have been conflicts about decision-making in their lives at important parts of their lives. And they fall into those categories of young adults who are really having problems making it. So that's why it's so important to keep that business-like relationship post-separation divorce. Do we need to say anything more specific about what a business-like relationship is? Sure. Um, just imagine your relationship with your ex, no longer this loving, intimate relationship, but your two are now business partners, and you need to bring a product to market. That product happens to be your child, the most precious product that you can imagine, but what you need to do is arrange to cultivate this product to a point where it's ready to be independent. And please, I don't mean to insult any of your listeners by calling their children products, but looking at your child in this way and looking very much at your ex as a partner in this venture, even if you don't like your partner, you have to work with your partner until that product is ready to be launched. And as such, what do you do? Well, we don't just blow up at our partners if we have a problem. We have a mechanism of communicating what the problem is. We keep our language at a courteous level. We don't want the boss to come in and say, that's a snarky email. We have agendas for our meetings. As we do with anything else, we have a program of how we're going to move forward. So we will have meetings on a regular basis. We might meet once a week or once every other week. We talk about long-term goals. This is what a business does. This is how you develop products. 
And I look at the co-parenting relationship very much in that vein. I don't have to like my business partner very much, but we need to have a successful business here. Are you talking about face-to-face meetings once every week or two, or just five-minute phone calls once every week or two? Yes, yes, and yes. It depends on the age of the child. It depends where you're living. Clearly, if one parent's living you know, far away from the other parent, there aren't going to be that many face-to-face meetings. Um, but so much depends on the uh, ability of these parents to present themselves in a business-like fashion in front of the child. So... Let's, let's take the example. You know, you're both at the soccer field together because your child's playing a soccer game on Saturday afternoon. What's your child going to see with the two of you there together? Do you say, hello, how are you? The weather's nice. The team looks good. Smile. That's great for your child. Or do you sit on opposite sides of the soccer field, and when your child scores that first goal of the season, does she keep her head down because she doesn't know whether to look at mommy first or daddy first because the two of you can't sit on the same side of the field? Well, developing an appropriate business relationship would say we're both in the same market. We're both here to develop this child. We don't have to sit on the same blanket with each other at the soccer field, but let's all sit together on the same side with the rest of the team. You know, we were married. We did have this child. We had periods of time where we loved each other. I think we could manage to stay on the same side of the soccer field for the sake of our child. These business meetings, these business relationships, I do advocate five-minute-a-week phone contacts. I think it's important to have a business-like meeting and saying, where are we? Did he do his homework this week or did he not do his homework this week? Uh, what's the feedback from the teacher? How's that cold coming along? Uh, do we need to worry about whether he's getting enough sleep? Uh, is that allergy you know, problem or not a problem? We just need to do the business connection for a few minutes each week. That's not the time to talk about why the support check didn't come on the first of the month like it's supposed to come on the first of the month. There's another forum for dealing with that. We're just dealing with the business of raising this child appropriately. And then we need to have periodic, longer business meetings. We need to talk about what we're doing over the summer. Much of that can be done by email, perhaps, but there are also times where we may need to sit down in front of a cup of coffee at a public place and map out what our child's going to do over the summer and have a business meeting and plan things and reach agreements. That cup of coffee at a public place works really well for a lot of people I've met. If they sit down at the kitchen table, they're just going to fight with each other. But if they're in a coffee shop and there are people around, then they're going to stay focused on the planning they need to do and just do it. Virginia, you're so right. It has to be public. It can't be in his place or her place because, you know, his place has some bad memories and she's dating somebody else. So I really don't want him around while we have this kind of discussion and sort of feel uncomfortable on her turf right now. So it really does need to be most of the time in a neutral territory. As I say that, Virginia, I saw a family today that they take turns meeting in each other's house once every month. They pull it off. That's great. I give them all the credit in the world. Most people have a hard time doing that. And uh, they, they're going to feel much better doing it in a neutral setting. The ground rules are clear. We're not going to be throwing things at each other. We just have on our agenda today to talk about summer programming. You bring your information. I bring my information. We ended up with an email confirming what we talked about. Our children know that we're doing this. It's so important that children know that we're talking about them. I'm not saying the children should be at that meeting, but our children need to know that mommy and daddy are still mommy and daddy. 
They're still working together. All right, Ed, we're going to go to break again. When we come back, we'll be talking about introducing new people into the lives of your children. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com No one can tell you how much money you'll have or when you'll see your children, right? Wrong. It happens every day in divorce court. Don't let it happen to you. When dealing with separation, divorce, co-parenting, or care of an elderly relative, there is a better way. Mediation. Save time, save money, and save your children. To learn more, visit the Academy of Professional Family Mediators at apfmnet.org. That's A-P-F-M-N-E-T dot org. Most adults are able to make good decisions about how their families can move forward. They do not need to rely on courts to make such decisions, especially in cases of divorce. Far too many people suffer unnecessary anguish because they do not know what family mediators can do. We help people discuss problems constructively in a private, confidential setting. We help them stop fighting and stay out of court. To learn more about mediation and other family matters, visit ColinFamilyMediationGroup.com. Colin has one L and no S. Are you struggling with emotional, financial, and legal stress related to divorce? The Guide to Low-Cost Divorce in Virginia by Virginia Collin and Rebecca Martin teaches how to handle these processes in any state with special attention to Virginia's laws. This book can help you take care of yourself, get free legal advice, develop a good co-parenting plan, keep expenses down, and arrange a do-it-yourself divorce. The Guide to Low-Cost Divorce in Virginia is available from Amazon for just $4.99. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. listening to Family Matters. To reach Dr. Virginia Collin or today's guest, please call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radio show at collinfamilymediationgroup.com. Now, back to Family Matters. Welcome back to Family Matters. I'm your host, Virginia Collin. Today I'm talking with Dr. Ed Farber, author of Raising the Kid You Love with the Ex You Hate, which is not an easy thing to do, but Ed can teach you how to do it. We said that we would talk a little about what happens next. You got divorced, your kids went through a tough six months or a year or a year and a half where they didn't look like they were doing so well. Then life restabilized in both of their homes, and they bounce back, and they're doing okay. When and how is it okay to introduce your kids to somebody new whom you have been dating for a while? Virginia, preferably not on the way to the wedding with that person. Great, great true story someone you know, told their ex, 
Could you please make sure our children have their Sunday clothes uh, for this weekend? I want to make sure they have nice dress and suit. And the mom said, that's great. Um, and uh, where are you going? Oh, just someplace special. And, uh, you know, dad picks up the kids and drives them about an hour and a half and ends up at dad's wedding to new girlfriend girlfriend, I guess stepmom now. So that's not the best time to do the introduction, and that's a terrible way to do it. But, you know, it happens. The fact of the matter is, most people, after swearing, after they go through that divorce, they're never going to do it again. They're never going to introduce their lives to somebody else and intertwine it in that fashion, and they're never going to go through that pain again that comes with separation and divorce. And guess what? Most people do it again, and the just the marriage part, not necessarily the separation and divorce part. The marriage part. Eighty percent of the kids coming from separated and divorced families will have at least one step parent in their life. So it's common. The vast majority of people do it great. So the question is, now when when you introduce somebody new, and there's no great answer. It's not right after the divorce so your child could get used to the new person. It's not six months, eight months, nine months, 12 months, uh, because that's a, a good time period. The fact of the matter is, and it's not, there's no good time either. The fact of the matter is, when you believe that relationship is real and permanent, and you believe that this person is going to be a significant part of your life, then it's really okay, and it's really important to introduce the other person into the life of your child. But I'm also going to tell your listeners that you're introducing another divorce into the life of your child when you do that. How so? Well, think about it. Here it is, Friday night. I'm ordering pizza, and we have our routine, and the kids are coming over, and it's a transition from the other parent's house, and we have our routine. It's Friday night. We order a pizza, or we make a pizza. We flip on a movie. We cuddle together on the couch, and the children gradually transition from one parent's house to another parent's house. It's lovely. It's the way it should be. It's not putting pressure on the children to immediately jump into the new life. It's a gradual transition. That pizza gets cut into third, my sibling, my parent, and me. Now I'm introducing somebody else. And all of that time that I've had to, over this past year or two to develop this new relationship with my parent as a single parent, a new kind of living arrangement, I'm now told that's going to change. In effect, it is a divorce from that parent. And while the parent may have been thinking about it for an extended period of time, to the child, the news of that is somewhat of a shock. Whoa, I've had this pizza, I've had a third of the pizza every Friday night, and now I'm only getting a quarter of the pizza. It's a real change. And we have to be sensitive to that of the child. When you believe that relationship is real, that relationship with someone new is permanent, and it's not the flavor of the month friend, it's not to prove to your child, huh, your other parent thinks I'm a no-good person, but watch, I can attract this beautiful woman or this very successful man, so I am a valuable person, and ah, go tell that to your other parent. That's not the purpose of a new relationship. But when that relationship is real, that relationship is consistent, absolutely introduce your child to that relationship. But do it in a fashion 
that still preserves the primacy of your relationship with the child. What does that mean? Yes, I was going to ask. <laughs> well, okay. So the first thing you have to do, whether you like it or not, is inform your ex that you're about to introduce your child to someone significant in their life. I'm not saying you're going to ask permission. I'm just saying you're going to tell your parent, the other parent of your child, that a significant change is about to happen in the life of your child. You're going to be introducing someone else of significance. Again, I don't want that child to go home and say, Daddy, 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 guess what? I met Mr. Bob today. You want that parent to be able to say, I know you, Mom, and I talked about it, because you want that child to see that Mom and Dad are still Mom and Dad, and they still understand the world much greater than the child understands the world. So the first thing you do is, like it or not, you tell the other parent. I want to inform you that I've met someone, I've been seeing someone for a period of time, and this weekend I'm going to tell the children about this important person in my life. Thank you very much for listening to the child. I understand they're probably going to tell me one thing. They may tell you something else about this person. Please, if you hear any concerns of the child, I really would like to know that because obviously the health and safety and well-being of my child and your child is of utmost importance to me. The other parent should be respectful, say, I wish you the very best of luck, thank you, and move on. You then, of course, it should only happen that way, right, Virginia? Um, it, that would be wonderful. I don't <clears throat> think most people do it that way. I think most people take the picture of the X and throw it against the wall and watch it smash into more pieces than already was smashed into. But the truth is then that what you do is you introduce your child very gradually. First meeting, maybe it's a lunch, maybe it's a dinner, depending on the age of the child, maybe it is a trip to the park. But what's very important after that is that the next contact time with your child is only with your child and not with this new person who's important to your life. It has to be a gradual process, gradually introducing this person. If that person has a child, there's no demand that child become your child's best friend. Just because you fall in love with someone doesn't mean your child has to fall in love with that person's child. Be sensitive to the needs of your child while balancing your starting a new relationship with your continuing a meaningful relationship with your child. Don't make this into a second divorce for your child. I'm going to push you on this question just a little bit, thinking back over some of the relationships that I've observed in my life. Uh, people sometimes date for six months, 12 months, two years before they start thinking about making this permanent I'm wondering whether if you've been seeing somebody already for six months or 12 months and you think it's an important relationship, even if it's not necessarily somebody who's going to become a step-parent, but it's an important relationship, does it make sense to introduce your kids to that person? If that person's an important part of your life, then it certainly does. If that person is a close friend, even if it's an intimate friend, then that is a part of your life. And if you want your children introduced to that, you certainly can introduce your children to that. I don't think it should be the person that you've dated three times and then have a romantic fling with, but if it is a person with whom you have a consistent, close relationship, even if you don't know if that relationship will be forever and ever, it is perfectly legitimate and appropriate for your child to meet that person. It makes sense to me that it might actually be easier for kids to meet the person when it's not definite yet. 
you know, it's it would might be harder for kids to handle if if they know right away this is likely to be my new step parent. That's a big step to take all at once. It's also helpful if the person is not pregnant um, when you introduce that person. Yes, uh, and uh, it is nothing that uh, goes a little further from not getting the support of your ex if that new person is noticeably pregnant when you introduce them to your children. So I think discretion is very important here. And I think the ability to be honest with your children and honest with your ex. There's nothing to hide. There's nothing to gloat. I have a new friend, someone important to me, and I'd like this person to be part of my life and I'm with the children as well. It's okay. And the children adapt. Um, I have, it's, it's very, very unusual for children not to, over time, accept the role of someone significant in the other parent's life. It's not to say that that person becomes a parent and immediately makes parental decisions, but it's someone important in the life of my mother and father and therefore someone important to me. Is there advice that you give to new step-parents about how they begin to develop a relationship with the stepchild? Relationships come about not by what you say, but by what you do. And as you perform in a role of meaningfulness to that child, you will gain greater meaning to that child. It depends on the age of the child. If you're a step-parent to a six-month-old or a two-year-old, it's going to be a very different role than a step-parent to a 16-year-old. Be respectful. You are not the primary parent. You are not the one who's doing the co-parenting decisions with the ex. You are there to support your relationship with your spouse as a step-parent. It is a meaningful relationship. You're an important adult in the life of this child, but you're not the parent to that child. Your book has a story of uh, one uh, remarried dad and his new wife always felt like the child is intruding between the two of them. And the child always felt like my new stepmom is pushing me out of my relationship with my dad. How do people avoid that sort of thing happening? Or how do they solve it when it has happened? I find that there's a natural process that allows for the sharing of caring. That if I really care for this person and I'm viewing this person as being meaningful to me and my moving forward in an adult relationship that I can allow that caring to be shared with this other person and that other person will also share in the care of my child and it tends to be more positive I'd get worried quite frankly if I sense that relationship early on as a problematic relationship between the person I'm dating and my child it doesn't have to immediately be a love-love relationship, but I think it has to be a respectful, growing, caring relationship. And if I see the tension there right away, that's a bad warning sign for the child and for my relationship. Got it. Well, I guess we have covered that. We have about two minutes left in the show. Is there anything in particular that you'd like to let people know about? Well, I think many of us think of divorce as a short-term process. And when that child's 18, we're done with that product. And we've raised it to market and goodbye, and I don't have to deal with my ex anymore. But really, we remain families forever. It's a different kind of family, but we remain families. So our children graduate from high school. We want to attend college graduations. 
we want to be able to both, as adults, divorced though we may be, be able to attend the birth of our first grandchild. We don't want our child to have to have a wedding in private and in secret because he or she is afraid that mom and dad are not going to be able to get along. We have to continue this business-like appropriate relationship with our ex throughout our lives for our sake and for the sake of our children and for the sake of our future grandchildren. So I really hope that people can understand, develop that business relationship, love your child more than you hate your ex. Perfect. Thank you for joining us this week on Family Matters. Please tune in for another edition featuring host Dr. Virginia Collin next Tuesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Be kind, heal, and grow. We'll be right back. 